Well, thank you for the uh, warm invitation to come and share God's word with you. Uh, I am excited to be able to uh, spend this time just uh, getting to hear your stories. And even last night, I don't know if you're around, but the TEDx talks were excellent. I just love finding out how God is using different people. I love the little tagline of SBS, which says, seven billion stories and counting. Uh, We all have stories that God has done or is doing in our lives. And I'm convinced, even as I come this morning, my goal in opening the Bible is not just to give you more information so that you might become a smarter sinner, but uh, my goal is to open the word that it would point to Jesus so that the Spirit of God would take you wherever you're at right at the moment and speak to your life. Because I believe we have a speaking God who doesn't want us just to be um, recipients of information, but he wants to bring about genuine transformation. I come today to share God's word, not as a professional in a sense. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and trying to uh, talk about who God is and his character is very daunting and there's a lot of limitations. uh, And uh, nonetheless, uh, I'm going to share what I have. During the breaks, I'd love to chat with you over the next little while. There's lots of stuff I'm not going to cover uh, in today's talks as we talk about the Holy Spirit, but I would love to engage with you over this subject. Uh, It's really good to be at an inner city church. By the way, you know you're at an inner city church when you've got a row of cosmetic um, (laughs) change folks. That is fantastic. Let me, uh, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks of your son, the Lord Jesus. And I just pray that as we reflect on these scriptures uh, over the next little while, that you might take this truth, embed it in our hearts, and that you'd be pleased by your Holy Spirit to transform the way that we think so that we might find our joy and delight in the Messiah. And we do this so that your name might be honored. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, there's an old native uh, story of a Native American who was in the backwoods of Oklahoma who decided and had heard about this great thing called the ocean. He had never been to the ocean. None of the people from his reservation had been to the ocean. So uh, he decided to do a trek as one of the leaders in the village out to discover this thing called the ocean. And he made a, a very long and arduous journey uh, over several weeks, uh, and he finally made it to this great mass of water called the ocean. Having never seen anything like that before, he waded out into the ocean and he had packed with him a little vial, a little container, and he he put uh, some water in the vial and he popped the lid back on and he made his way back uh, with his very, very long journey back to his reservation. And as the story goes, he got in back into this village, very remote, and the people gathered around him and they said, tell us about the ocean. And he pulled out his little flask And he put it above his head and said, this is the ocean. Now, that really was just a flask of water. You can't contain the ocean in a flask. And when we think about the Holy Spirit and speaking about the Holy Spirit and learning about the Holy Spirit, I feel a little bit that way. Uh, There is so much about this one we refer to as the Holy Spirit. It feels like we're getting a glass or a vial or a little flask this weekend and talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we talk about God, we have to try and get the best that we can, a framework to think about who he is. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when you hear the word Holy Spirit, I don't know what comes to your mind. Uh, I remember growing up in a church where sometimes people would read from the King James Bible. Uh, 
And in the King James Version, it would talk about the Holy Ghost. And you're the, what? And you sort of think of, I don't know, has God sort of got a cosmic sheet that he walks around, you know, uh, with a blanket over the top of him? What is the Holy Ghost? You talk to people and uh, even in reading the scriptures, many of us are familiar with God the Father. We, of course, are familiar with Jesus Christ the Son. But when it comes to the Spirit, we often have a few questions. In his excellent book on the Holy Spirit, author Gordon Fee says this. He says, when many of us think of the Holy Spirit, it's like we say the creed this way. We believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. And we believe in Jesus Christ, his son. But we're not so sure about the Holy Spirit. And I feel that's how many of us think. Now, that's probably a couple of reasons. I've heard some people in some church traditions that you may have grown up with, where there's sort of, I've found two extremes. At the one level, uh, and this would be reflective of the tradition I grew up in, in my church, I don't think I heard the Holy Spirit mentioned very often. And uh, any comment that was made about the Holy Spirit was the Holy Spirit is about Jesus, so just get on with it. And one aspect we're going to see, the Holy Spirit loves it when we talk about Christ. And he, he loves it when we do that. And that would sort of be one extreme, though, where there's not really any mention of the Spirit. At the other end, I've got good friends like this who have been raised in a fairly different tradition, even extended family members, who you talk with them and every conversation is about the Holy Spirit. And, as, and uh, some people, I think, go too far. The Holy Spirit said to get a stretto soy latte today, not an almond one. You know, and every conversation, the Spirit seems to, to come up. And so for that reason, there's sometimes we neglect thinking about the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does. Now, when, as I said, sometimes when we think about the Holy Spirit, there's all sorts of things that may or may not wash around in our mind. There's some misperceptions, I think, out there. Uh, sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit kind of as this impersonal force. And so it's not uncommon for people almost um, to refer to the Holy Spirit, who is a member of the Godhead, rather than referring to He, the Holy Spirit, does A, B, C, and D. People sometimes will say, It. Uh, and sometimes that's just a slip of the tongue in, in regards to their theology. But some people view the Holy Spirit kind of as the Star Wars-ish force. Just kind of a, a, a current that's sort of out there. It's, it's the vibe, if you will. Okay, the spiritual, the Christian vibe is the spirity kind of thing. And I think we have these misperceptions. And while we'll see the Spirit, he does, there's an activeness to his work. He is more than just sort of a force out there. He's not a, a ghostly figure in the sense of a blanket kind of sneaking up on people. Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? Well, uh, to start with, when we were going to this first message, I'm just going to, it's almost like introducing a friend. Some of you know the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does. But for some of us in this room, we're going to be a little less familiar with the Holy Spirit and what he does. And so what I'd like to do is just to lay a foundation for then thinking uh, in the second session about what the Holy Spirit, how he's involved in our lives, what that looks like, and we'll continue that to our session tomorrow. But today's session is just, I just want to ask and answer two very basic questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? 
And at a big picture, what does he do? Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? Well, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I think that when it comes to the Trinity, we believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sometimes I feel bad for the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever felt this way before, but I read the scriptures and God the Father, he's front and center. We get Jesus Christ and we sing about Jesus in the fullness of time. God speaks through his son and we love Jesus. But sometimes I feel a bit like, the poor old Holy Spirit doesn't get a, it's like he doesn't get picked in the first 11, okay? He feels sort of the odd one out. Now, the more, that reflects a little bit of my ignorance towards the Holy Spirit and his ministry, but certainly the Bible presents this great picture and great delight where the Holy Spirit, along with the Father and the Son, is eternally God, And as I come to even the term Holy Spirit, there's a couple of just basic observations I want to make. First of all, he's referred to as the Holy Spirit, the little adjective holy. I don't know if you've thought much about this, but the the term holy has the idea of being set apart, being different, being distinct. So in the scriptures, we read in Isaiah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When you think about uh, even the, the English language, I don't know if you've thought much about the etymology of the word holiday, holy day. Okay, the idea of a holiday is it's not like every other day. It's a different day. It's a distinct day. There is something unusual about it, something special. And when we refer to the Holy Spirit, we are speaking about one who is different, distinct, unique. Secondly, he's the Holy Spirit. This is why I think we have a hard time. Father, I get. I've got a father. And I can visualize what a father looks like. And at one level, I see the fatherly attributes of my dad. And when it's applied to scripture, I can say, ah, I understand God as a father. I can sort of see that image. God as son. I get that. Okay, I have a son. I know what sonship looks like. I get that. But when we come to spirit, we don't quite have the same sort of categories. Now, the word spirit, there's two words that are used in the Bible, as you are probably aware, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, uh, and there's a word ruach that's used there 90 times uh, in the Old Testament, and the Greek word pneuma used 270-odd times in the New Testament. Both of them have the same background and idea, and it's the idea of breathing something. It's the idea of an active force or breath, the breath or the wind of God. And this is going to be true even in the English language. So we use words like pneumonia. And it comes from this same term. It's the idea of an active force. It's got something to do with breathing. A pneumatic gun uses air pressure to plant nails into wood. It's using the force of wind or the active force of something to accomplish this. And in the Bible, we have the spirit... And this term that's used is used of the active or inactive member of the Trinity who is accomplishing things. The Spirit is one of power. When we come to think about the Holy Spirit, though, here's the first observation I would like to make about who is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to suggest to you, first of all, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. You see, the scriptures consistently will use language 
that speak of person and personality, just as the Father, we think of personhood, and the Son, we think of personhood. So the Spirit is likewise categorized not as some sort of um, uh, force that's just out there uh, like a current, but the Spirit, he has personhood, he has personality. For example, Ephesians 4 verse 30 says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can sadden the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't sadden a chair, okay? A chair is just a chair. You can't sadden or make sad electricity. The Holy Spirit is a person. He grieves. We also read in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit intercedes uh, to the Father on our behalf. Now, intercession is where you often have an intermediary, someone who comes between two others and communicates different things. That is not true of electricity. That's not true uh, of a chair. The intermediary uh, there, the role of the Holy Spirit interceding is one person speaking on behalf of one person to another person. The Holy Spirit grieves, he intercedes, he speaks. We, we see this in Mark uh, chapter 13, 11, we see this in the book of Hebrews, as the Holy Spirit says, we have a speaking God and the Spirit of God is the one who speaks. In fact, as we look in the scriptures, this is one of the uh, things, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you before, but sometimes you might hear a sermon or part of the Bible or you're even reading the Bible and it's as if God is speaking directly to you. Uh, I have this semi-regularly in my ministry where I go around, sometimes preach at local churches, and I remember preaching at a particular church, and I was just filling in for the pastor, actually, who was away, and so I was there speaking, I was given a, a topic or a passage to speak on, I was preaching on it, and down the back of the church was a lady who I'd never seen at church before, never seen her, ever, and uh, in the sermon, I started off, and as I'm making my way through, I see her start sobbing. And I'm thinking, oh man, I hope the sermon's not that bad. But uh, in all seriousness, I just keep preaching and I notice she's just beside herself. I get done with the sermon and, and, and come down and they start singing uh, a song uh, in response. And then I notice the, the lady's getting up. So I thought, I better just check she's okay. So I made my way to the back door and as she's going out, uh, I just introduced myself. I'm Malcolm. You know, how are you going? Are you okay? And she said, how did you know? I said, how did I know? What? And she says, today is the four-year anniversary since my mother passed away. And she said, everything you said, everything you read from the Bible, everything you talked about in regards to Jesus, how did you know? And I said, look, I'd love to take credit, lady, but I can't take credit for this. I don't know anything about your circumstances, but here's what I do know. God is a God who speaks it is no surprise that you are here today and hearing these words. Why? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the truth about Jesus, as was read for us in the reading, and he reveals truth about Jesus to people. Who does that? The Holy Spirit. He speaks. That's not what electricity does. That's not what a chair does. That's what a person does. The Holy Spirit speaks. He intercedes. He grieves. He also creates uh, Genesis 1-2, we see the Spirit hovering over the waters. Uh, Mary is pregnant, and we read that occurs through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Romans 
27, he has a mind. Chairs don't have minds. We need to be careful in the language that we use, that when we think about this third member of the Trinity, that we're not just sort of thinking of ghostly-like language as kind of a, a force or a vibe out there. No, we are speaking about a person, somebody that we can have relationship with, as we will see. The Holy Spirit can also be blasphemed against. We read that in Mark 3 and also in Matthew 12. They talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or against the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is a person. We also discover when we read the Scriptures that the Holy Spirit is fully God. In Hebrews chapter 9, we read that the Holy Spirit is referred to as the eternal spirit. So uh, he is not someone that was just created out of thin air. The Holy Spirit always was with the Father and with the Son. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Listen to this account in Acts 5. If you remember the story, Ananias and Sapphira, they held back a little bit of money and they were doing the dishonest thing. And it says this in Acts chapter 5. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Okay, you don't lie to a chair or electricity. He says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself this. He goes on a little bit further. He says, you have not just lied to man, but to God. And clearly for Peter, he equated lying to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God. Jesus will talk about in John 15, uh, that was read for us in John 16, he will talk about another helper. And the idea is another helper like me. Jesus was a person, so is the Spirit of God. So what have we discovered about who is the Holy Spirit? I would suggest to you the Holy Spirit is a person, somebody that we can know, that we can relate to. But secondly, the Holy Spirit is God. Here's a third thing, though, and this is where it starts to uh, feel some significance, I think, for the way that we think about uh, who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. The Holy Spirit, I would suggest this morning, is God's presence with us. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. Now, this is going to be a significant idea. You see, God has made each of us in this room as relational beings, and the Holy Spirit is our relational God. We have relationship with him. In fact, he, by dwelling within us individually as a community, we get to know who God is. Now, I mentioned the Holy Spirit is God. Here's one of the, the great challenges for us to get our mind around as Christians, is that we love and have been created in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I say uh, we're being created in His image. One of the aspects in which we're being created is the fact that we're being created for relationship because God is all about relationship. The Father delights in the Son. The Spirit delights in the Son. The Spirit delights in the Father. The Father delights in the Spirit. And in God himself, one God, three persons, we have this dynamic, this relationship where there's actually no jealousy, there's perfect unity. And this, it's kind of like this. When the early Christians thought about how do you explain a triune God, they came up with all sorts of examples. And even in modern times, people have come up with uh, water and ice and steam. It doesn't really work. I heard somebody... Um, when I was overseas, talk about the Trinity, it's kind of like a pretzel. 
And I'm thinking, I'm not sure I get what, how is a pretzel, you know, but three parts of a pretzel, but it's one pretzel. Well, not, not really. Well, the early Christians, uh, they got their thinking and they came up with the idea and they used the t- term uh, perichoresis, which has the idea of a dance. They say it's like a, a three-part dance. There's three people dancing and they're dancing in perfect unity. Now, I got married to my wife uh, nearly 17 years ago. She's South American. And once we started going out, I remember we'd go over to her house for dinner. As soon as dinner was done, somebody would hit go on the music and the salsa music would come out. And there I was, super white boy doing the robot. Like, you know, this sort of stuff. But my wife, she is all rhythm, right? She's just doing this, doing this since a kid. She's got this natural rhythm. And so she's doing the cumbia and the salsa. And she's got all these moves and it's just all natural. Well, here's the thing. In my dancing with her, it's kind of an awkward dance. Like I say, I had a few little, you know, sort of moves from uh, the 80s and that sort of stuff. It didn't quite work. But here's the thing. So I started trying to do this salsa. And every now and then, I would get in rhythm with my wife. And I tell you, best five seconds of my life, right? (laughs) This is how the Trinity is pictured in the early Christian thought. It's the idea that it's not just two people, it's three people dancing in total unity, delighting in each other. The Father loves the Son. And in fact, we have this, this wonderful image. The Father sends the Son, who, as we'll see with Jesus, sends Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit leads us to think about the Son, and the Son leads us to think about the Father. And there's this wonderful dance that goes on that there's no jealousy. So sometimes when I think, if I'm talking too much about Jesus, it's not like the Holy Spirit's over here saying, I can't believe you're talking about him again. No, the Spirit loves that. The Spirit, he loves it when we focus on Jesus. And that's to the delight of the Father. The Father delights in when the Spirit is doing his work. Why? There's no jealousy. There's just this perfect, unified dance as they work together. But here's the thing, when we look at the relationship of the Trinity, we see this beautiful dwelling together, this goodness of the the Godhead working together in unity, community, enjoying each other. And guess what? We've been invited to the dance. When you were created, it's as if the Trinity is saying, you know what? We're going to let you participate in our life. And so right from the get-go, the Spirit of God is in the garden, and it's really a beautiful picture. God in the evening walks among his people. Can you imagine that? Evening time comes, and in the cool of the night, you chat with God. How good would that be? And we look there in the garden, and God's presence is with his people. But as you know from the Bible, as it unfolds, we wreck things. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. And our ancestors, our forebears, choose to live independently of God and things break down. And now rather than feel intimate with God in the evening, we're banished from the garden because of our sin and brokenness. And that relationship, not just with God, but with each other is rocky. Rather than reflecting the Godhead in our unity and delighting in one another, all of a sudden we're climbing over each other to get to the top. Ourselves rather than blessing and delighting in others, we we think ourselves are most important. But early on in the scriptures, God makes a promise, you know what, I'm not going to give up on you, I will dwell among you. And he makes a promise to a man named Abraham, and he has this great, there's this great 
picture that's given right in the scriptures early on. God says, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to provide a way for you to have relationship once again with me. And as you go through the Old Testament, there'll be times, for example, Israel will establish, ultimately have a sort of a moving tent that goes around for a a bunch of years, but they eventually settle in Jerusalem. They have a temple area. And God goes there and he dwells in the temple. But here's the thing. You, You can't, you and I... Uh, particularly Goyim, the ethnos, the nations, we wouldn't, wouldn't be able to rock up and, hey, let's chat with God. We'd have to come through a, a mediator and a priest. And even then, there was only one priest once a year would have that intimate spot where they could go to the place where God dwelt. But there's a promise that was given to the prophets that one day, listen to what it says in Jeremiah 31. God said, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Ezekiel says it this way, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from their hearts the heart of stone and put to them a heart of flesh. They will be my people and I will be their God. Here was the promise of the Old Testament. God in the garden dwelt with his people. We delighted in his presence, but we broke it. But Jeremiah and Ezekiel said, there's a coming day when God says, I will once again dwell with people. You'll be able to delight in me. You'll be able to enjoy my presence. There will be that stability because we see even in the temple, Israel disobeyed. The temple left, uh, the spirit of God left and the presence of God left the temple and went away. But the good news for us is that when Jesus turns up, we have one who dwells among us. We have the very presence of God in the person of Jesus living this life with us. But here's the thing. Jesus could only be at one spot at one time. So if you wanted to see Jesus, it was head to Galilee. And uh, Jesus couldn't be down in the Negev and up in Galilee at the same time. He couldn't be with the church at Rome and the church at Thessalonica at the same time. And Jesus says, what you need is something longer lasting than just my presence. I'm going to send you another helper, the Holy Spirit, who will not just be with you, but he will be in you. And we get a foretaste, and this is what it says in the book of Ephesians. The Spirit is a guarantee of our future inheritance. I yearn to have a good relationship with God. I pick up the scriptures. If you're like me, I have it on my phone. I've got a phony Bible. And uh, I pick up my, my phone in the mornings, and I start reading the scriptures, And you know what? There are some times where it is a case of, wow, that's just what I need to hear. But more often than not, I feel distant to God. I read it, and sometimes, you know, and I'll I'll pray, and sometimes I just feel like my prayers are bouncing off the roof. Right now, I have a taste. I have the Spirit of God living within me. But here's the beauty. God has come to dwell in me. And we long for the day of Christ's return. But the Spirit comes as God's presence. And the more I grow in Christ, the more attuned I am to listening to what the Spirit says about Jesus, the more I'm shaped into the conformity of Christ and the more I experience the reality of God's presence with me. Friends, let me ask you, does God feel distant to you? There might be seasons where he does, but I would suggest and encourage you that you are not alone And this is really significant. Uh, I'll share a little bit later, but 11 or so years ago, uh, I was serving as a pastor at St. Barnabas Anglican Church in Broadway as an evening pastor. And we'd just come back from uh, America where I'd been uh, teaching in a seminary over there. 
And we got back, I was in ministry, found out we were pregnant with our third child, terrific. I'm a, a month into a new ministry at the church and I was diagnosed with natural killer cell lymphoma, a type of T-cell lymphoma, a blood cancer related to leukemia. And I had a tumour, the size of a golf ball here in my sinus. And it, it was one of these dreadful things uh, there was just a, a bit of a blur, actually. Uh, I'd go through sort of seven, eight months of chemotherapy. I'd have a transplant. I'd have radiation to my head. And you know what? As good as the church was, my church was terrific, by the way. They looked after me. They looked after my family. But there were times when I was utterly alone. In fact, I remember one point, because I had a tumour here in my neck, they had to make a hard mask for my head for the radiation table. And I have to get on the radiation table. They'd bolt my head to a table with this hard mask and I just had to put a ball in my mouth because I didn't want my tongue to get radiation, and I'm extremely claustrophobic. My heart is going like this. In fact, one of the times the guy was about to leave, and just before he put the ball in my mouth, I'm like, dude, could you just stay here and just, while, just while I have the treatment? He's like, uh, yeah, nah. Uh, and he left the room, he's like, sorry, mate, can't, radiation. You know, I don't want any of it. I'm like, oh, thanks, I'll have it. Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing, he left the room, my heart's pounding like this. I'm going through this dreadful treatment. As good as my church were, their presence didn't satisfy me. I'm married to a good woman. I tell her, best wife I've ever had. <laughs> but you know what? Even there, there were moments when I was utterly alone. But I realized I was not. And sometimes it's actually the deepest, darkest places that the Holy Spirit then comes to the fore. And he began to remind me of the promises of God. He began to still my heart and remind me, you're not alone, I'm with you. Friends, if there are times in life where it's very difficult. You might be wrestling with loneliness. You might wrestle with deep depression. You might wrestle with the fact that, look, I'm single, I don't want to be single, or I've gone through a painful divorce, or I've had this experience, I feel so alone, nobody understands. God is with you. That's why Jesus sent his spirit. Jesus can't, if he was here, he couldn't always walk around. You know, we'd all want to, to grab him. Jesus, I'm your favorite, stay with me. But Jesus says, no, you need another comforter, another helper, the Holy Spirit who will be with you and in fact will be in you. This is a foretaste, this intimacy that we have with God. The Spirit of God now lives in you. And at one level, that should provide great encouragement, right? Never alone. Though we feel like it, we're not. You are not forgotten. We should also challenge us, right? The fact that God is always with us. When you're thinking those thoughts that you shouldn't be thinking about somebody else, maybe you're tempted to slander somebody else. The Spirit of God's living within you. When maybe you're thinking of, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll go here or go there or do this or look at that on the computer. The Spirit of God is with you. And this, Paul will use this language uh, later on in the book of Corinthians amongst other places and say, hey, you're a temple. The, the Spirit of God dwells within you, both individually as a community. The Holy Spirit, what does he do? He is God's presence with us. But what else does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit helps us live in this present age as we look to the future. The Holy Spirit helps us live in the present age as we live to look to the future. Verse 26 of John 15. 
When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth and goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And then he talks about what will happen to the disciples. Verse 1 of chapter 16. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are not offering a service to, they think they are offering a service to God. They'll do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Listen, verse 4. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember what I've warned you about. Here's what he's saying. He's saying to these individual guys, and by, we'll see by extension, he's speaking to all the people of God uh, about the Holy Spirit's role here. But he's going to say, disciples, listen up. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Because this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. You need the Holy Spirit's power because I'm going away. You need the Holy Spirit to empower you, to speak to you, to lead you, to guide you if you are to live the Christian life. And he talks about the Holy Spirit's activity. Of course, we know from the book of Pentecost, uh, sorry, the book of Acts, chapter 1 on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes and dwells within the people and all of a sudden this great transformation occurs. And this is the encouraging thing. Again, if you are anything like me, you live the Christian life and it is so difficult to stay true to the course of obedience to Christ. In fact, more than difficult, it's impossible. But as we'll see in our next session, the Holy Spirit is God's empowering agent to produce change within us. He is the one who leads us, directs us, guides us. And this is why, by the way, whenever we do things and God works for us, it's why God gets all the glory. It's not because it's about genius. Again, preaching in a church in Grand Rapids just a few years back, and I, I preached a sermon, and I preached the sermon on the grace of God to a man named Levi. Okay, this, you remember that account in Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 9, Matthew the tax collector, also known as Levi. And I preach this about the grace of God to Levi. This is a, there was three services. It was a largish uh, church, around 6,000 or so folks. And I remember there, during the one of, between the services, my friend Jim, the pastor of the church, introduced me. He said, Malcolm, I want you to meet this couple. He said, this Tuesday, they buried their child. These people are sobbing. Oh, I've just spoken on the grace of God. They said, how did you know? I said, how did I know? Well, you know, this question again, how did I know what? They said, our boys, we've passed away this week. His name's Levi. How did you know? 6,000 people. All right, I could have picked any passage in the Bible. I preached on that passage. God gets the credit, right? This is his work. But he is the one who speaks he changes, he comforts, he encourages. And this is what God does. He enables us, he speaks to us so that we might live out the grace of God and the joy that's found in Jesus by pointing us to truth in Scripture. So some people say, and it's, a, it's true, the Spirit's role, his role is to point us to Jesus. And I would say, and Jesus' role is to point us to the love of the Father. But they're not jealous. Each member of the Trinity works in delighting in the other people. The Holy Spirit's role in your life is sometimes to provide comfort, encouragement when you're feeling down. Hopefully you don't have to have MRIs and have your head on a table bolted somewhere. But he works sometimes to encourage us. 
Other times it's to infuse grace. Other times it's to convict us. We read, (coughs) as the passage unfolds, I will ask the Father, he will give you another counsellor. And it says uh, in verse 13, he will guide into all truth and the spirit he convicts the world of guilt in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's job is, we might say, more positive, to encourage us, to comfort us. When we need that grace of God message, it's to us. Other times the Holy Spirit convicts us, and that's not right. There's something wrong here, and he does that. He judges the world, and he condemns the world's thinking. But the Holy Spirit's job in my life and your job He wants you and I to submit to Christ, to find our identity in Christ. And you say, Malcolm, this is a weekend about the Holy Spirit. You're already talking about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit would say, go for it. Why? Because there's no jealousy. There's a delightful dance where the Father delights when I speak about the Son. The Spirit delights when I speak about the Son. The Son delights when I speak about the Spirit. The Father does as well. But Jesus gives us and sends the Spirit so that we might navigate our present Christian life and as we navigate the world with the mind of God as he gives us the Holy Spirit. Now, back in my early 20s, I lived in the great city of Chicago. Lived in the Midwest of Chicago. I did an undergraduate degree at a place called the Moody Bible Institute. And I love Chi-Town, okay? And I'll be back there next year and I always love going, not just for the, uh, the um, deep dish pizza, but I just love it. And I remember while I was over there, I learnt a few good things, uh, but I probably picked up a few negative habits. And one of those negative habits was that uh, during the the American summer break, I came back to Australia, I got in the car, and I was with the parents, we were out in the country somewhere, Dad says, oh, you can drive, we're off to Tamworth or somewhere, and he said, your turn to drive. So I start driving down the road, get 500 metres down the road, and my dad made this comment. He said, Malcolm you are going to change and drive on the other side of the road, aren't you? I was oh, goodness, yeah, okay. I was driving on the wrong side of the road. You see, Chicago had so impacted me that my natural tendency was to drift. And it wasn't to drift to the right side of the road or the correct side of the road. It was to go to the wrong side of the road. No offence to Americans in the room. But here's the thing. There were some things I had to unlearn. And that's how the Spirit of God goes about his work. He changes us to have the mindset of Christ. He changes and his work is to conform the way that you think, the way that you ultimately act, but it's about the way that you think about the world, about God, and about the Christ. I'm so thankful that the Christian life is not about try harder, do more, act better. The Christian life is about focusing on Christ, having your mind shaped so that your natural tendency is not to do those things which displease God, but as we'll see uh, in our next session, the Spirit takes the truth of the gospel and it's that heart of stone that's been replaced now with a heart of flesh. He gives us the ability to navigate a radiation machine. He gives you the grace that you need at the loss of a child. He gives you everything you need to navigate that workplace. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a person and the Holy Spirit is God. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit is God's presence in you. And the Holy Spirit helps you to live in this present age in light of the age to come. We start off in the garden. You remember we're there and in the cool of the evening, 
God walks among his people. You get to the end of Revelation and there's another garden and it's not just Adam and Eve, it's people from every tribe, nation and tongue. And we're all there in the garden and we're delighting in God. That intimacy is there. We get a taste of that now as we walk in step with the Spirit. And the longer we listen to the Spirit as he points us to Christ, the more conformed we will be to the image of Christ and the more we will do what we have been created to do and that is live in the image of God. So just a bit of an introduction. Next session, we're going to look a bit more in depth in one particular passage, but I hope that's helpful just to give you a bit of an orientation. I feel at one level like I'm introducing uh, and a bit of a networker today. I want you (coughs) to meet my friend, okay? And in this case, I want us to know who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not Star Wars, okay? The Holy Spirit is not sort of electricity or force. The Holy Spirit is God dwelling in you, comforting you, encouraging you, and pointing you to Christ. I'm going to pray that the reality of this truth, that God the Spirit will be pleased to embed this into our hearts and souls. Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, whom we've been speaking about, and the fact that he would love us so much that he would send the Holy Spirit to come and dwell among us. I just pray that this weekend, even the words that come from our lips... Uh, that you would produce fruit from your Holy Spirit, that he would bring about change in the way that we think, the way that we act, that this community would be a reflection of the Godhead, a Godhead where there's no jealousy and envy, but a Godhead that delights in each other. So I just pray now that you would take this truth and embed it into our souls for Jesus' sake, through your Spirit. Amen.